Welcome to the St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship Podcast. Today, one of our teaching leaders, Vicki Tatko, will be discussing Genesis chapters 25 and 26. St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship, or BSF, is currently meeting virtually on Zoom every Monday from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Central Time. For more information and to connect with our class, visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Now let's prepare our hearts, open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 25, and join Vicki as she shares truths from God's Word. Welcome, friends. To BSF, we are going to be looking at Genesis 25 and 26 tonight. I will pray for us, and then we will dive right in. Let's pray. Lord, would you, uh, in your kindness to us, consecrate this time to you. Help us set aside the things that are pressing in and make our life lives confusing. Uh, help, help us, help those who are struggling to pay attention in a screen-filled world. Help us to focus on you and to, by your Spirit, learn from you and be transformed from you for, for you, for the sake of Jesus. Help us to remember your faithfulness, your generosity, and your love for us. And be with my words as I'm talking. Help me to say only, that is, things that are uh, right and true and glorifying to the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name and for his sake. Amen. So the Hobbit movie, if you is a few years ago, but uh, you if you've seen it, you know that it follows a group of dwarves and the main character Bilbo Baggins. They are on a quest to go toward the Lonely Mountain and reclaim it from the dragon Smaug. And at one point on their journey toward the Lonely Mountain, they're being chased. And the only way forward is to go through Mirkwood, a dense ancient forest. And Gandalf, their guide, sort of, uh, warns them, this is a dangerous place. Do not leave the path. And as they enter the forest, you can see in the audience, it is dense and dark and twisted. The path is uh, hard to find sometimes. And to move forward, they the party must move up and down and around, in and out trees. They get turned around, and the further in they go, and the nearer to the enchanted river that they go, uh, the more a mental fog kind of descends on the party and confusion. The forest seems to close in. Will they ever get out? Uh, Bilbo, our main character, climbs up and up, and up and he gets to the top of the canopy and he breaks through and we as the audience see uh, the difference then between and it's it's startling the clearness the sun is out the air is clear there are butterflies leaves are blowing you can see and breathe and you see Bilbo take breaths and with each breath that he takes his you can see his head clearing, um, and now you can see the bigger landscape. And look, there's the river. And in the distance, not too far, is the Lonely Mountain. They are almost there. Uh, to move forward in life, similarly, you and I often have to go in and out and up and down um Lots of details in our lives close us in. There are confusing decisions that we have to make and voices all around us, um, emails and social media and the news. We've got pressures of daily life and um, COVID tests and, uh, you know, car registrations 
and uh, disagreements with neighbors about parking spaces, uh, changes in our government and our policies. Everything is rapid fire and life can feel very cluttered. And as you and I go through our days, sometimes we just have to look right where we're stepping uh, to make our steps are so secure, um, what are we going to do with our hours? What are we going to get accomplished today? And the, and, um, the air can feel very near. But in that, sometimes we can be forgetful and sometimes we can lose our way. What does it look like to move forward on your life? What is the goal that you're moving toward? Um, what is right and wrong? What's up and down for you? What does success look like? We get easily confused and forgetful of the larger destination um, by the confusion and clutter of daily life. The Genesis, Genesis' first audience, the Israelites in the desert, had, even though a different life form from us in many ways, culturally speaking, their lives were cluttered too. And they were actually physically going up and down and around rocks, and um, there was not a clear path forward. Uh, many daily realities they faced, uh, interpersonal relationships and fears about um, sickness and, uh, you know, fears about the future. Is this the new normal? They would have felt many of the same things that you and I feel in, a, in our reality. And um, they got muddled too. And we can see throughout that story, if you're familiar with it, uh, they were, the people of Israel were inclined to forget big things. Uh, they forgot God's love for them. They forgot his commands for them. He forgot his call for them to trust him and to be his people. And you and I might think as we read that, oh, how silly, silly those people are getting so muddled. And yet, how much does that happen to us? How quickly do you, how quickly do I become confused and forgetful when life presses in, when things are hard, when we have to just to get keep our balance, look at be looking at where we're placing our steps up and down, turning all around, and it often leads toward forgetfulness. Um, Genesis 25 and 26, our passage for, the, for tonight, calls God's people then and now to lift up our heads, to look, to climb up, 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 and see the real landscape, um, the real destination, take the long view and let that inform how we navigate the present. And so that's what I hope that I will take away from this passage. I pray that that's what you will take from away from this passage too. I think that we can learn. God calls his people to live now having the long view, live with the long view in mind, um, and so the passage made me think of Hebrews 11, 9 through 16. Um, I'll just read some of those uh, verses, but think about the long view. By faith, he, Abraham, went to live in the land of promise. We've seen that. As in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. All these died in faith, not having received the things promised. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And that, dear friends, is, I think, the invitation of Genesis twenty-five, twenty-six. In the words of Sandra McCracken in her song, Abiding City, 
uh, oh, lift up your head for the day is near. We have no abiding city here. God calls us to live now with the long view in mind. And so uh, with that, let's jump into our passage, open up your Bibles. We're going to be in um, 25 and 26 of Genesis uh, tonight, and we're taking our cue from the narrator's headers. There's a lot of information, and we could have looked at this material in different ways, but we're going to look at, um, we're finishing up one account of, remember their narrator has given us markers throughout Genesis, the account of or the generations of. And so um, we began an account of Terah in chapter 11. We are finishing that now. And uh, that will be our first division, 25, 1 through 11, God's faithfulness to Abraham. And then we will deal with the account of Ishmael. Um, God's generosity to Ishmael, that's 25, 12 through 18. And then we're going to start on this new account, the account of Isaac, uh, 25 and 19. And that account goes all the way through the end of chapter 35, but we're going to stop tonight at uh, the end of chapter 26. So that's 25, 19 to the end of chapter 26. Um, okay, so without further ado, let's get into our passage. Uh, the three divisions will move quickly. Um, so, uh, we're going to see first God's faithfulness to Abraham. It's closing an account and we see an end of life. We hear in 24.1 that Abraham was now old and well advanced in years. Well, he hasn't gotten any younger since then. And so, at the end of this life, we're going to see God's faithfulness and uh, 25, 1 to 4 give glimmers of promises that God gave to Abraham now being fulfilled. God had told Abraham in cha chapter 17, verses 4 to 6, kings and nations were going to come from him. And we can see that Abraham took another wife. Presumably, this was after Sarah died, but we don't know that for sure. And this uh, woman, her, her name was Keturah, and she bore Abraham six sons. Their names are recorded there, as well as some of their subsequent generations. And some of the names, if you look in verse 3 in particular, are um, nation names, Asherites, Leshurites, and the Lemites. And then we get to the sons of Midian. We will see the Midianites. They appear in the Joseph story. And the point is this. God said that nations would come from Abraham. Nations came from Abraham. Um, and then we see in verses 5 and 6, uh, we see Abraham honoring God's choice of Isaac as his heir. Now he has eight sons, and um, he, as if he's believing God's promises that nations are going to come out of these sons, then nations need space. And uh, to recognize, seems that Abraham recognized and cooperated with Isaac's preeminence as the heir that God had selected for him. That was in chapter 21. That heir was, uh, Isaac was the heir of God's covenant promises and blessing. He was the heir of the land of Canaan. And uh, the other sons were not selected be, to be preeminent. And yet in God's economy, blessing abounds and overflows. Abraham gave material blessings to Keturah's sons, uh, in verse 6, we see that uh, that and sent them away from his son Isaac 
to the land of the east. Presumably that does include also Ishmael got some blessing there too. And um, we can see in this, God, Abraham trusted God and cooperated with his choice of Isaac. And as far as we can tell from the narrative, these other sons went peaceably. They were, uh, it seems they were satisfied or at least content with that material blessing, um, leaving Canaan for um, Isaac. And so we see in verses 7 through 10, God's word fulfilled to Abraham, the word that he had promised in 1515. Uh, Abraham lived a good long life. Uh, uh, he died, verse uh, 8, it says, died at a good old age. And that's exactly the words that God had spoken to Abraham in 1515. Um, he was buried in the land of promise. And um, Isaac might have wondered after Abraham died, and he buried his dad with Ishmael in the cave of Machpelah next to his mom, Sarah. Isaac might have wondered, uh, would God forget to be faithful? And perhaps this was a question on the Israelites' mind as they're seeing Moses, the faithful servant of the Lord, get older. Um, would When that elder patriarch or uh, leader dies, will God forget? Will he be faithful? Um, and verse 11 assures us after Abraham died, God gave immediate evidence that he was not going to abandon God's his promises to Abraham, even though Abraham's physical life had ended. Uh, so verse 11, after Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near Beer Lahoi Roy. And so um, that's... The, the the narrator is going to turn our focus to Isaac, and this is the first hint of something we're going to see um, in chapter the end of chapter 25 and also 26. Like father, like son, as God dealt with Abraham, so too would he deal with Isaac. God's commitment to his promises lasts beyond human life. And so that's the principle I think we can learn. God keeps his promises, period. God keeps his promises at the in his character, God is a speaking, promise-giving God. He gives promises, and when the time is right, God acts on those promises, and he lets us glimpse those promises from afar. We won't fully understand them. Abraham got some, got to see some of those glimmers of uh, his promises being fulfilled, but not fully. And yet, um, we can trust, we can be assured of this, God's faithfulness. He will keep his promises. God's generosity. He gives us sufficient evidence that our trust in Him is wise, and He's going to take care of the things that our lives are too short and finite to do. So, to care for your children, to care for your elderly relatives, God is faithful, and He uh, is able to do that. And also, we see God's mercy uh, to Abraham. It is hard to get old, and I'm I'm not super old, but I'm getting old. And I, I can see already, it's hard. And it is not a spiritually uh, easy journey to remain committed to God to the very end of our life. That needs God's grace and mercy. And we see Abraham model that. Um, and it does, his example calls us to seek God's grace to finish well. So God keeps his promises. What's our response? Do you believe God's character? That he is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. That's a core, it's a key part of his character that he's revealed to us. And then do you know God's promises? Where do you find them? 
uh, in the Bible. Which ones do you? Which ones has God made very personal for you? Um, and do you know the ones not only that are encouraging, but also the ones that are harder to hear? Um, all of God's promises are um, important and should be formative in our understanding of. Uh, what it means to follow Him and put our trust in Him. What does it look like to for you to rest in God's character as a promise maker and promise keeper this week? Where are you waiting for His promise? Um, that something maybe you have seen, um, you know, you're praying and praying and praying, and where's the peace that passes all understanding? Um, where's that, what promise are you waiting for Him? And almost maybe waning in hope that he will be uh, faithful. Will you ask him to help you in that place? Name it. Um, and then cooperate with him. And who in your life, um, and maybe it's you, who is uh, looking ahead and seeing um, the hard things at the end of their life? Um, maybe an older relative or a terminally ill friend. Um, how can you help them fix their gaze on Jesus and pray for them, encourage them to finish well? Um, God calls his people to have the long view and to live with the long view in the present. Oh, lift up your head. Know the day is near. Um, we have no abiding city here. Uh, so let's look to our next section. Very, It's a quick one. Um, the account of Abraham's son Ishmael, verse 12 to 18. This features God's generosity, God's generosity to, to Ishmael. And so, we're even though we're focused on Isaac, we know we're going to go there. Uh, verse 11 has cast our eyes there. Um, there's still some questions that we might have. What about Ishmael? Would God keep his promises to him? Because uh, God had given Ishmael very specific promises and there are some, and um, I don't have time to read them, but you can pause it and check them out now. Six, chapter 16, verses 10 through 12, chapter 17, 20 through 21, chapter 21, 12 through 13. And um, the superscript, uh, verse 12, calls us to remember uh, Ishmael's story, but also to remember those promises. And so the question is, would God also be faithful to Abraham's to, to Abraham in that he would keep the promises to Ishmael even after Abraham had died. Um, and so, this section speaks to that. The answer is yes. God prophesied about um, Ishmael's offspring, and uh, we see that fulfilled or spoken to in verses 13 to 16. There are 12 rulers who are sons. they are uh, names of 12 tribal rulers according to their settlements and camps. Um we also uh, see uh, some final words about Ishmael. He lived a good old long life, 137 years. And uh, then the final words in verse 18 were with respect to Ishmael's descendants. Uh, the region that they lived was near the border of Egypt. And a characterization, a final word on Ishmael's descendants and they lived in hostility toward all their brothers. And you may remember in chapter 16, that was exactly what the Lord had said. It is hard to see that characteristic in a good light. Um, Ishmael, in this respect, did not take after his his biological father, Abraham. And in fact, in this account, his legacy, there's no evidence of him or his descendants, Ishmael's descendants, holding on to God, even though we know 
that uh, Abraham, because of God's grace to Abraham, Ishmael had grown up in a family where he would have known and heard about God's character and God's promises. And even Ishmael bore the mark of circumcision, the mark of the covenant in his own body. Um, And yet, it doesn't seem that um, Ishmael made that a priority to hold on to God. Um, so, what's a takeaway truth? What can we learn from this section? Um, God, in His common grace, is generous, and He bestows many blessings on those those who acknowledge Him and those who don't. And we can all enjoy a, a roast turkey sandwich and a crisp salad. We can all uh, enjoy a sunset over the ocean or fresh snow, beauty of um, the, the funness of belly laughter with a friend and loyalty of a dog, cuddles with a baby. God gives good things and um, he doesn't give good things just to people who acknowledge him. And we can see God kept his word to Abraham to bless Ishmael and Ishmael's descendants regardless of how they received those blessings and whether they acknowledged and were grateful to the Lord. But these blessings, what God gave to Ishmael, even though they were good, they were good blessings, they're lesser and they will not last. Ishmael's 12 ruler sons, where are they now? Where can their gold, power, and fame purchase? What can their gold, power, and fame purchase them now? And Ishmael, too, after long life and material blessing, what can it gain him if he did not trust in the one true God, who is God of the living, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? So the principle is here's the, here's the truth I was trying to get to. If you are content with earthly blessings, you will miss the better part. If you, if you are content, if you set your eyes on earthly blessings, you will miss the better part. And it reminded me of C.S. Lewis's quote. Um, it, it, may, it would seem, he writes, that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to, to us. We are like ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And as you think about where are your eyes, what are you looking at, what does your heart value, what, do you, what treasures are you collecting for yourself, there are paths which take you and me away from the Lord and away from the story of redemption that he is unfolding in human history, like the paths that Ishmael and his descendants were on. Those paths may not look bad to our naked eye when we look at them up close. They may look pretty nice. A nice car, a nice job, a nice neighborhood. Um, maybe we're more attractive and we can wear the clothes and the size that we want. Our bank account is uh, is the size that we want. And it those are our blessings. But those are the lesser blessings. Um God calls his people to have a long view and to lift up our heads. The day is near. We have no abiding city here. Our heart should not be set on the uh, the blessings of this earthly world, but um, set on those uh, the treasures of heaven. What benefit is to you if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? And will you ask for God's help? Uh, to see clearly, to see the temporal pleasures for what they are. God, they are God's generosity, um, but they are flat and pale for what 
in comparison for what God is preparing for those who love him and are saved according to his purpose in Christ Jesus. Look up, friends. Uh, May we take, by God's grace, the long view and order our lives and our loves accordingly. Turn to our third and final division. We're going to look at God's path for Isaac, starting in chapter 25, verse 19. And as we get into this section, remember, it we're starting a new account of, um, if you look at 2519, this is the account of Abraham's son Isaac. Uh, and this is going to go all the way through chapter 35, where it will be relieved by or followed by the account of Esau. And so it's a lot of material, and uh, we are only going to go today through the end of chapter 26. And so... Um, I have two preliminary observations that I think can help us navigate. We've got a lot of material to go through tonight, but also the whole um, account of Isaac. It could be helpful to think about, number one, Isaac's story is a middle story. And um, even though Isaac is the miraculous child of promise and the heir of God's covenant to Abraham, he points ahead to the story of redemption And so his middle story is a quiet story, and his life is a lot more like our lives, an ordinary life that maybe we would think when we think about Abraham or Jacob's lives, because most of us have middle story kind of lives. We're not celebrities. We're not uh, big-name people. um, But whether we're middle story people or not, all of us, every human life, um, we are not the main characters of our own lives. God is at work in every life story, and his plan of redemption uh, is going forward. And every human life will play a part of that, whether we respond in faith and obedience to trust him or we reject his grace. So he is the main character of of the story. So keep not Isaac in view, keep God in view. Um, throughout this cha- section. And the second preliminary thought, there's a lot going on in this section overall. And, this, you know, the passage that we're studying today, we'll see um, many details. How do we know what to focus on? With It can feel like we're going up and down or around trees and we're, you know, there are just so many details. How can we see the forest for all the trees? And so this is a helpful framework, I suggest to you, that the shape of Isaac's life follows Abraham's life. He a, Isaac is Abraham's heir. And so what are the core pieces of God's covenant promise to Abraham? We saw that in chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, and it was expanded on. God promised offspring, God promised land, and God promised blessing. And Isaac inherited all those three elements. And as such, he is uh, a steward of that inheritance, and he has three needs. He needs offspring. He needs to remain in the land, and he needs to pass on the blessing to the son that God would choose. And so I suggest to you that the narrator has arranged for us the material in into those three parts, and you can follow that through Genesis, land, seed, blessing. Um, we're going to cover two today and then one next week. So we're going to see... In this first section of uh, Isaac's account, chapter 25, verses 19 to 34, we'll see God meet Isaac's need for offspring. And then we're going to see in chapter 26, God meet Isaac's need to remain in the land. 
And then we're going to see uh, next week in chapter 27, God meet and direct Isaac um, in his need in passing on the blessing to the son that God chooses. And in all these three parts, Isaac has one overarching need, and that is to uh, to trust God and to um, respond to him in reciprocal love and faithfulness. So uh, we will see. Let's turn to this uh, first section. We're going to see what happens. Um, 19 to 34, Isaac's need to have offspring to carry on God's covenant promises. And so this was a primary concern of Abraham, who is going to be the heir. When Abraham had no children, God had given these lavish promises, but needed an offspring. And God waited until such such a time as the sun could only come miraculously, and God would get the glory for meeting that need then. And so we're going to see in a similar pattern, uh, chapter 24, God had provided the the wife, Rebecca, that he had selected for Isaac. And then, but we're going to have a similar challenge. Uh, ver- if you look at 2520 to uh, 2526, there's, and you do the math there, Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebecca. Isaac was, Isaac was 60 years old when Rebecca gave birth to his sons. That was 20 years of childlessness and 20 years of each month going by with disappointment and sadness, frustration, and maybe wavering of faith. Maybe you can relate to that. You've been in a period of either physical or spiritual fruitlessness. Um, and so what uh, we see this is a need. It's a need for humans to be fruitful. Um, we're, we're made to be fruitful, certainly spiritual, all of us spiritually fruitful. Um, but for many of us physically fruitful. And so Abraham prayed, uh, faced the same problem, prayed. He took a concubine and we've seen the problems with that. Um, before Sarah gave birth to Isaac and here, we see Isaac improving, or at least what's in the record. Um, verse 25, 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered his prayer. His wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. Um, and so, uh, as <laughs> I thought it was interesting, as um, my friend Caitlin, who is also a substitute teaching leader for our class, she noted that God meets our needs most often in ways not so that we need him less, but creating opportunities to need him more. And so in meeting the need for a child, which is a real need for Isaac, God gave not one child, but two. And the two struggled and um, wrestled together, even in utero. And Rebecca cried out to the Lord um, and sought the Lord for that. And we see the Lord gave her a prophetic oracle which um, I'm sure was comforting, and maybe there were parts of it that weren't. Um, Verse 23, the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. The one, One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And so this is, again, before ultrasound. So Rebecca knows now you're having twins, and they're going to, your children are going to grow up to be fathers of nations. But they will be hostile. They're going to be divided from each other. And there's going to be wrestling. There's one stronger than the other, and you're going to have servitude. And so it's a hard, hard situation. And um, this is an idea here that Paul expands for us in Romans 9, is God's sovereign right to 
uh, to choose, to elect. And uh, in 9-11, he writes about Rebecca and these two boys, though they were not yet born and done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. So the point in that is that neither son deserved to inherit inherit God's covenant promises, and it's not clear from this oracle yet who will be the inheritor, but God, in ways we cannot fully understand, chose one undeserving son to be the heir and set his love on him, the the smaller one, uh, the lesser one, Jacob, in some ways. And so election is a hard concept for many of us. Uh, We like to understand. We like to have a say in our future. And the idea that God chooses and that choice directs human history pushes against both of those things that we like. Um, And yet, the Bible presents both God's sovereign choice and human choices that matter, human will. And so, both of them, we have to hold both, that uh, our choices do still matter. Um, And will you and I trust God's perfect character with the things that we can't understand and embrace the reality of our choices and how we should choose to seek and love God. Um, now, we're going to see in the the narrator gives us, before we go into chapter 26, God give, meets this need for offspring. He's in, a, in that, this complex way. And um, we've got three snapshots of what we will see playing out uh, in the rest of the after next week and beyond even the theme is contention or to use the words in genesis three fifteen, enmity you've got uh these two boys and they're in a context contest with each other and even um it happened from birth and their birth story and then how they grew up there's continued separation and even they polarize their parents uh which cannot be a that i'm sure that was not a healthy or God-honoring um, situation in that marriage. Um, and yet, but we have also in the third, this, this uh, incident where uh, that reveals their characters. And we have uh, Jacob making, we see verse 29, Jacob was cooking some stew. Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of this red stew. I'm famished. That was why he was called Edom. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then and then got up and left. So Esau, Esau despised his birthright. So we see in this, in this one little story... Um, this one anecdote, a snapshot into these two boys' life, their relationship. Esau is stronger physically, but he's weak, like uh, it seems Ishmael was, in his ability to see beyond the immediate present. He wanted a temporal pleasure. Um, And Jacob desired the better thing, which was the birthright. In this case, it would have been God's covenant promises or the first first part of that covenant promises to Abraham but we have no assurance in this story that Jacob sought that good thing for the right reasons in fact he behaves in a way that uh, is is uncomfortably like the servant in Genesis 3 neither brother is exemplary but we must 
uh, note that how the narrator emphasizes Esau's failure. He despised his birthright, trading in something of priceless value for some bread and some lentil stew. And um, so this is going to set the stage for chapter 27, but that's how God met Isaac's need for an heir in a way that (laughs) complex that God still needed, uh, like Isaac still needed the Lord. Um, And then we see in chapter 26, it speaks, the narrator speaks to Isaac's need to remain in the land that God had promised Abraham. Um, And we see why was staying in the land a problem, uh, Verse 26, now there was famine in the land besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. And so maybe Isaac thought there was food in that region. And maybe it was on the way. He, maybe he was going in route to Egypt. And God said, no, do not go to Egypt. God appeared to him and gave him commands. Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I where I tell you to live, verse 3, stay in this land for a while. God promises present blessing. I will be with you and will bless you. And then God extends and confirms future blessing. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my covenant, my requirements, my commands, my degrees, and my laws. Um, in God's economy, obedience brings blessing. Isn't that sweet? That um, that's God's grace, not that Abraham earned the blessing, but that God was so generous in His economy that obedience, and particularly here in this case with a a representative and a representative's obedience brought blessing to all those that he represents like Isaac and all the generations and how much more do we look ahead and see Jesus Christ and how his obedience as our representative head has extended blessing to us that we don't deserve and yet um, in God's grace and goodness um, those blessings are secure for those uh, who have been included in Christ. And so we see Isaac's response is right. He responds with obedience, and we can presume reciprocal faithfulness was his heart attitude. So in the next section, um, 14 through 34, there are a lot of details here, but there, the theme that runs all through is the challenges of being in the land. And we should not miss... Many details we could study deeper, but we shouldn't miss how the sweep of Abraham's, of Isaac's life parallels that of Isaac. We're supposed to see that. Um, They lied about their wives, um, but God, even though he exposed those lies, he, God, protected and blessed them both. God blessed them materially. That was so much so that there was hostility and disagreement. They had uh, problems with wells. Um, which of course was a which was a real physical need for people dwelling in this um, arid land, and they sought peace with outsiders. They worshipped God publicly in that pagan land, despite their wealth that uh, they could have invested in nice things. They dwelt in tents, and they were both ap- approached by Abimelech for a peace treaty. They both navigated the challenges of sons getting married and the risk of a son, uh, the heir aligning himself to uh, a woman whose religion would lead 
that heir's heart away from the Lord. And so what's a takeaway truth? We have to notice how the big sweep of Isaac's life parallels Abraham. I think that's what we can learn is the faithful life follows recognizable contours. The faithful life follows recognizable contours. Uh, When my family and I hiked the Big Piney Trail in December, which I know we've heard about um, for the last three weeks, but uh, we we thought we had a map and we went on that green path. We went up and down and all around. That was the path of the trail. And of course, there were a few times where there's a shortcut here or you can hike over and see an overlook there. But if you're going to hike the Big Piney Trail, your path is going to follow those contours, more or less. If you deviate from that, you're hiking something else. You're not hiking the Big Piney Trail. You're doing something else. You're following another path. Isaac, as Abraham's heir, had an Abraham-contoured life. There was belief and challenge, blessing, failure, repentance, humility, worship, witness, fruitfulness, identity in God, just like Abraham. And if you are a spiritual heir of Abraham in Christ, you too can expect that you will have an Abraham-contoured life because that's the faithful life. That's the Christ-shaped life. Belief, challenge, trust, blessing, failure, repentance, worship, witness, fruitfulness, identity in Christ, just like Christ just like Abraham. You might say, well, why didn't Isaac get to have his own life? Why was his life molded in the shape of Abraham's? Why, if you were a Christian, do you have to follow Jesus on the often very challenging and painful path of a Jesus-contoured life? That is the crux. So it pushes against our individualism, our want to make our own identity, define our own good, seek out the blessing we desire for ourselves, make a name for ourselves, be beholden to no one and nothing. What individualism appeals to your heart today? What does it look like to let go of this and embrace the contours, the recognizable contours of the faithful life? My friend's life can confuse us. It is easy to lose our way. Where are you headed? Where are you going up and down and all around? Does, has life confused you? And where are your eyes? What loves are you cultivating? Let us with God help take the long view. Turn to God in Christ Jesus. Fix your eyes upon him, the author and perfecter of our faith. He alone is sure and trustworthy guide. His promises are worth waiting for and ordering our lives around. And when our lives, the life of faith, presents us with recognizable contours, let us not be dismayed, but to trust that that is the way of actual blessing, of real blessing and promise. Um, and so I'm going to close with uh, Paul's prayer in First Col- in Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And then, um, yeah, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Lord, thank you for drawing us near to you. Um, thank you that you, it is your will that we would be know more and more and be filled with the knowledge of how, uh, what your will is and how you will give us all spiritual wisdom and understanding in Christ so that we may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him and bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you. 
Lord, we pray that you would strengthen all of us who are within the range of my voice with all power according to your glorious might, that we might have endurance and patience with joy, that we might give thanks to you, our, our Heavenly Father, because you have qualified us to share in the inheritance of Christ and the saints in light. Because you, through your Son, have delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We pray in his name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the St. Louis Young Adults BSF Podcast. Join us next time on Zoom on Monday, February 1st at 7 p.m. Central Time as we discuss Genesis chapter 27. To connect with our class, like us on Facebook at STLYABSF or visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Bible Study Fellowship is an international, interdenominational, nonprofit organization that is dedicated to studying God's Word one verse at a time and strengthening the local church. For more information, visit bsfinternational.org. That's bsfinternational.org.